Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Lee Liston. Welcome to the podcast, Lee. Hi, how are you? Really good to have you. Lee is someone I met when I was a YSA bishop. Lee was one of our YSAs, and um, I heard him bear his testimony and speak in church, and is a great man. And, and Lee has agreed to come on the podcast to kind of update me and all of us on his life since... I was released as a YSA bishop, and Lee moved to Provo. But just to give you a little background, Lee served a mission in the Philippines and had a great mission. Lee's been home for about five years, Lee. Mm -hmm. Lee is 26. Lee is not active right now in the church. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because many wonderful members of our church after serving missions have become less active. And and so we're just going to talk about that stage of his life and and I'm not really going to turn this into a bishop's interview, just two friends talking a little bit about Lee's journey so that we have better perspective. Lee um, Lee is what I would call a little person. And so, Lee, you know, tell us what a little person is, Lee. Um, I, little person is just kind of a broad, you know, verbatim for, you know, having dwarfism. You know, it's kind of a more understandable, it's kind of a more understandable term. That way, so when you have dwarfism, like I have achondroplasia, which is a type of dwarfism. Um, Peter Dinklage is, if you've ever seen Elf or Game of Thrones, the famous guy on there, he has the same type of um, dwarfism. So as far as far as that goes, when you when you have um, when you have it, it's just a, it's a term for having dwarfism. And thanks for that. And I Lee was here with my sons and all his friends. We went and introduced him and. Lee gave them great mission advice and then talked about some of this was really helpful for my sons. I think one of the things you said as far as your height is I don't want people to see me by my height. That's not my defining characteristic. I want people to see me by the man I am, the things I'm accomplishing, my Christ-like attributes. And sometimes we see people too quickly by um, physical attributes. Any more thoughts on that? Um, I, I think it also comes from how you see yourself. You know, because because sometimes I'll see myself as like in needing to prove myself, like oh, I'm I'm more than a little person, more than that. Because sometimes, you know, at face value, sometimes people aren't you know right off the bat thinking that way. And I think sometimes we inflame like our differences so high and like so different that we think everybody's thinking the same thing. But in all reality, sometimes people are kind of just neutral towards it. And so I think the more that we give people the benefit of the doubt and like that as well, that we can kind of be more at peace with it. Otherwise, like, I feel like sometimes I've been in a constant state of turmoil, like, oh, she said no to me for a date because I'm little or like this didn't happen because I'm little. And, and so you're placing so much weight on that, you know, individual thing. It's very hopeful. And I made a Facebook post. It was um in October of 2018. And it was about the idea that everybody should be free to take on the label for them that they want or no label at all. And it was mostly in reference to LGBTQ. And Lee is not LGBTQ. We have about 30% of our podcasts, I think, are not LGBTQ. So this won't be that focused. But I remember writing this, and I'll just read this. During my YSA service, I met Lee Lee Liston. Lee was a great member of our ward, is a dear friend and doing great things in his life. Lee is three foot eleven inches tall. How should I refer to Lee? Question mark to myself. Well, the other day I asked him, 
once we were friends, we would ask that maybe passing in the street or before we had a deep friendship. And anyway, he told me the best term is little person. Without asking, I might have used an offensive term to Lee and other people, such as midget, which Lee described as as one of the harshest terms. I show respect to Lee by asking what name I should use and also learned the word little is in his email address. Well done, Lee. Respect means I don't choose this for Lee. Now saying this, I rarely use this when I see Lee. I see Lee as a fellow human being doing the best he can in his life, including being a part of a TV show on TLC that we'll probably get to. There may be a time when Lee and I discuss this attribute of Lee's beautiful existence, or I may share this attribute with Lee with another person. So are you okay with what I said in that Facebook post? Yeah, no, that that, that was fine because it was you. I like it because it's kind of creating an awareness from your perspective because I can always share mine, but it's nice when someone, you know, average height or somebody that's not in that space goes, hey, this is what I learned, you know, wherever you're at. So you gave some incredible testimonies in our ward and our high counselor, Brother Knudsen, Steve was one of your biggest supporters and someone who really could see your heart as well as myself. But our whole ward just felt your great heart and your love for people and your love for the people in the Philippines. Talk of, let's go back to high school. Were you always planning on going on a mission, Lee? Or was that something that came later? Well, um, Lee, so referring to myself, is not much of a big planner <laughs> you, you know like a lot of people have their lives planned out or they're gonna do this or gonna they're gonna do that or like they know what they're gonna do and i was just very much like go with the flow and so it was always hard for me not because i didn't want to serve a mission but to like understand the commitment of what you know that entailed and you know because i i i had never really had that much of a work ethic i you know, I got pretty decent grades in school, you know, I kind of, but I was always more of a social butterfly. Like I liked being around people. I liked being, you know, just center of attention type of stuff. And so, um, but yeah, I, I always like saw, I, I never didn't see myself like not serving a mission. And were you surprised to get called to the Philippines? Did you have any premonitions or did it just open the letter and that just, how did that feel to you? I was so stoked because, you know, like a lot of my family was like, oh, you're going to get stateside, you know, stateside, stateside. And, and I don't know, like, and then like opening up and like saying like Tagalog, you know, like versus Tagalog and just saying that it was just so cool, you know, just to be going to a foreign country with a language I had never heard of. Tagalog. Yeah. Yeah. Tagalog. And like, I had never heard of it before. Say the name of the language correctly. Cause I just mispronounced yeah. it. Tagalog. Okay. Yeah. So like with, with um, just really quick, with, with Tagalog, like you just pronounce, you just say the let, like the, the vowels are the most important things. So as long as you read them and you like, if you were to cut Tagalog, you just say words after vowels, then you can read Tagalog like that. And so you went, you went to the Provo MTC mm-hmm. and any visa problems or you just go straight to the Philippines on time? No, it all it all worked. I mean, I got my visa on time. I had my you know everything worked, passport wise. It was all pretty you know straightforward. Do you have American companions or Filipino companions? Um, the I'm like trying to think, but mostly all my companions were Filipino. You know, I really didn't get any Americans. I only had like one or two American companions. And um, tell us the name of the mission. Um, it was originally the Baguio mission when I got called. 
And then while I was out there, they split it. And then it became the Baguio mission was more in the north. And then I stayed in what was called the Urdaneta mission. And so that's, and then that's the mission I stayed in. Now, this is a question you're not going to like answering, but if I had met some missionaries in your mission that got to know you really well, that loved you, and I said, tell me about Elder Liston, um, and I sense people really loved you in your mission, what would they say about you? What was kind of your MO or your unique characteristics or your unique, unique Christ-like attributes? Um. Like, like, how do they feel with me as a companion? Yeah. Or like just, being on the other side of the coin or? Or just kind of what you, you know, I think all missionaries have gifts in their mission. And some yeah. are known for teaching. Some are known for obedience. Some are known for b- building up every single companion. Some are known for this or that. It's kind of the Christ-like attributes of chapter six, I think. And so what, what, what do you think were some of your strengths from your mission? I think I, I, you know, I was like thinking about it because honestly, I kind of understood the question, but I was really trying to like really land on something that was like secular and individual. Um, I think it was I was kind of an ambassador for a lot of Filipinos because a lot of Filipinos did not like Americans because in especially Filipino missionaries, because they kind of felt like Americans were kind of stuck up and full of themselves and thought they were better than the Philippines, you know. Because like a lot of the Philip, like a lot of the Philippines, it is third world, but it has kind of like it's it's kind of an impoverished America in a way, you know. If we're being honest, and and so for Americans to come, it can kind of they can kind of be a little stuck up, and so it can kind of be hard for Filipinos to open up about that if you really want to connect. And I had this conversation with you know a lot of Filipino you know missionaries, companions, and just they really opened up about it, and a lot of them would say, "You're the first person I've opened up." you know, about these kind of things too. And and I felt like I was good at connecting with people and and seeing them as human beings. Because I think sometimes when you get on the mission, like you start to see people as like robots or like this is what a missionary is and you should fit that mold. And we don't celebrate p- people's uniqueness just because it's hard because we kind of have to be obedient, you know, in order to fulfill a standard. But also we want to like love people as individuals and not just missionaries. I really like that answer, Lee. And I've never, I was a missionary in England, and there was probably more economic parity. And I had an English companion who was very well educated. So there was, and I would, don't want to infer that Filipinos are not well educated or anything. I want to be careful there, but I, I would guess most American men and women go to the Philippines and, and do have just what you said. And, there's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that says we're all equal and we all should learn from each other. And we need to have the humility to be able to understand what are the Filipino gonna, people going to teach me? What can I learn from this Filipino companion that may have less education, a smaller bank account, come from be a convert of six months? I guess you can't serve a mission if you've only been a convert of six months. You maybe have to be a year. Yeah. And didn't know the scriptures as well, didn't graduate from seminary. So it'd be easy for me as an American to sort of think I'm going to lead here versus what you were able to do is try to be a bridge and be an ambassador for the Filipino people back to the Americans and sort of be a bridge to see their goodness. Is that a fair thought? Yeah. I I didn't, I didn't like it when, you know, people would like use their materialism to kind of impede the value that Filipinos would bring, you know, because there's so much to learn you know, from people in different circumstances, 
And so if you can kind of like break down your walls and say, what can I learn? Kind of like what you're saying, then I feel like it allows for a lot of emotional growth and perspective. That's really cool. What in you made you be able to do that? Is it about being a little person or is it completely separate from that? You know, I I, want to say that being little is an opportunity to practice that ability, meaning like I, I don't think it all comes from being little, but I think, you know, being little, I've had to explain myself a lot, you know, like when I go to somewhere, I'm a lot different. And so people ask me questions and, and things and I have to, you know, become articulate because I have to know what I'm talking about. And, and, and I feel like I've always had an innate understanding of people's auras, like, which is kind of a good and a bad thing. Um, but I, I can kind of just get a sense of who people are. And like what their goals are and like just like through their emotions. I don't know what it is, but I can I can just connect with people pretty quick, you know, and, and people open up to me pretty fast. So even though like I felt like level one would be an American just because I, I understand the culture and like going to the Philippines was kind of level two because I didn't understand that culture yet. But once I did, it was really easy for me to like navigate a conversation, connect with somebody understand their wants, desires, and what, you know, who they were as an individual. I like that answer. And if I'm paraphrasing that answer, because you have a lot of attributes, so I don't want to keep going back to you're a little person. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm sensitive to that because you have lots of attributes and that's not your defining characteristic, but it sounds like that attribute, because it's so visual, is that growing up, you've had to have a lot of conversations about sometimes difficult things and sometimes conversations that are probably not very kind. And that's developed an ability for you to communicate really well about complicated things and, and maybe to be kinder to other groups that have a more difficult road. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, I would totally agree with that. Um, I've never asked you this question. Do you, do you ever talk to God about being little and ask him why he created you this way? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, now that I like think, I I think what I've asked God for a lot is kind of more peace, you know, because I feel like when we all, when we all pray, like we, 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 we pray in the storms, right? Like we need the storm to stop, whether it kind of be an emotional sat back and mind being, you know, around my size or anything like that. And, and I don't know, like, it's like purpose is such a hard thing to grasp because we have the ability to do so many things. Like, and I have so many different hobbies, talents, and the, the, the kind of, the, the kind of like my size kind of amplifies it. I mean, I was just a guy that lifted weights, you know, and we've, I mean, we don't have to talk about this, but like the being featured in a lot of, you know, fitness things. And I'm like, what makes me cooler being buff than that guy over there who works just as hard, maybe harder, you know? So it's kind of, I, I don't know. I, I like, I think about things really big picture, Good, you know, and then that's kind of like how I think of it. And so like kind of going back though, but, but to kind of like come back around to answer your question directly, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I've asked, but I don't know if I know the purpose of, I, I, I know what I want, but I don't know if I know his purpose of me being little. Do you do you think you being little was something that went awry in God's plan, or do you think this is part of God's plan for you for mortality? 
Like, are you saying, right? Did he go, oh, whoops? You know, and he's no. Did he go, no. Oh, did he do a fault head plan and go, oh, no, Lee is little? Or did he say, this is part of Lee's plan? And, or do you not know? And I don't know what the right answer there. Yeah, I'm just no. wondering if you've had any feelings on that. Well, I mean, I think, uh, do you, you know Barrett Bergen, right? Yes. So Barrett Bergen, just to kind of give people a perspective, he's a director, does a lot of short films, especially like in the LDS community. And he directed um, the host of, I saw the host of Heaven that was in the LDS Film Festival and played in General Conference. And what it was is it's the last um, chapter chapter of the Doctrine and Covenants with Joseph Fielding Smith when he has the vision yes. of like the spirit world. And it was really, really cool because Barrett messaged me and he said, Lee, do you think when you move on, you know, in the spirit world, do you think you'll not be little anymore? Do you think it'll just be gone and you'll be average height? And, and or is like that what you would want? And he said to me, he goes, no, sorry. I said to him. I was like, no, nah, I think I'm okay being little. I don't think me being, I think at first it might be liberating in some capacity, but honestly, like I don't, after that, I think it would just plateau and I just feel like anybody else. And, and so in that video, he featured me as a spirit in the spirit world, which is really cool because, um, you know, it was like me as a little person in the spirit world, not a fixedly in the spirit world. I like that. So do you think in the resurrection you'll be a little person? You know, that's so hard to say because I don't know how much God's will plays into the, all of this. Because like I, I can give you how I feel. Like once again, I don't mind being little, but like like it's 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 okay for me. But if if we talk in the aspect of what God wants, like I think that's gonna be like a, a conversation. I think God's going to be, you know, this is what I want for you. And I want you to be little. And you like, I, I think there's going to be a conversation uh, about it. And then there's going to be a decision made. And, and then I'm going to get his point of view. You know, he's going to get my point of view and, you know, and, and then we'll come to that. I, I don't think it's that black and white. I think we look at ourselves like Henry Ford, you know, cars going like Henry Ford where we're just, but it's a lot more, I think it's a lot more broad and open than that. I, I really like that answer, Lee. It's a very thoughtful answer. And I I go back to the resurrection to me is based on hope that whatever our brokenness in this life will be healed. and But maybe we have a conversation about what our brokenness is. And so some people may look at my expanding waistline as brokenness. And I would like to have my 20-year-old stomach back and my waistline, so maybe that's what happens. But maybe I don't look at, maybe that's just, you know, my perception of mortality, what's broken. And for our gay brothers and sisters, and I've had a lot of podcasts talking about this, and and I realize you're not LGBTQ, but some would love to be straight in the next life, that they don't like this about mm. them. And But others would say, well, I don't feel broken. I don't feel this needs to be healed. I don't look at it as myself as a mistake. So I'm not really sure I need to be fixed because this is how God created me. And and it's more complex because in a way, I mean, it's just more complex. But I love your kind of parallel answer is you don't know. And you maybe don't look at yourself as broken or need to be fixed and a mistake. But this is who you are. And and I love that you're going to have this conversation with God and kind of figure that out. And you don't need to 
have that figured out right now. But I do love the idea that you don't feel you're broken. And so when Elder Barrett, Barrett, Barrett Bergen, Elder Bergen was a missionary in our YSA ward, that's how we both know him. He served in our right. ward, and I'm doing his name backwards. Barrett Bergen, Elder Bergen, and his wife Jessica, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And he does films, and I love that he portrayed you that way in the spirit world. Any more thoughts on that? Like as far as like just the resurrection or your personal journey or anything that I said that's un- that doesn't seem right with you. You know, no, and and I think what it comes down because I love that this conversation isn't just going to be informative to people, but us having this conversation allows me to like be in this like sense of meditation almost and kind of singling myself out. And what I've kind of come to is it's not so much what's broken. Like on the, on the, on the physical appearance, it's about your heart it's about your mind and it's about your mental health, you know? And, and that's kind of where I think, you know, if, if we can manage that, we can be in any circumstance, we can be, you know, with no arms, no legs, there's people with far greater challenges that, you know, that I even have, you know, in comparison, but I think it's really about your mental strength and the strength of your heart and being at peace with yourself. And then, and then once um, it's, um, I don't know if it was Elder Worthlin. Uh, I, I want to see Elder Worthlin, like, um, but he said, "Come what may and love it," because then when it comes, if you're a peace here in your mind and a peace in your heart, then when it comes time to have that conversation that we're talking about, then you're okay. I really like that. I really like any framework that help us be at peace with who we are now. And sometimes that's really hard in our perfected world of of physical perfection in the Instagram world. And we're going to talk about that um, in a little bit. And I, I think that adds to the anxiety and stress of our youth in our church. And sometimes it's toxic perfectionism and just having to look and feel and be a certain way. And I think the beautiful diversity that God created is meant to be this way. So I, if, if God were here, I would think he'd say, with tears in his eyes, Lee's, this is how I created you to be able to fulfill your life mission. And you would grow in ways that you wouldn't be able to grow. And you, But he would also probably say, Lee, you're able to bless people that no one else could bless and reach people that no one else could reach because your unique, unique life journey and all these characteristics and attributes. And I saw that firsthand in our YSA ward. You were safe for everybody. Everybody felt like it opened up to you. And I don't know if that's because you have this big heart or because you're little and you're just safer than for some reason, because people may recognize you're part of a group that has a harder road. So naturally they just open up to you and say, I've got this thing going on. Do you, any thoughts on that? You know, it's funny. I can almost give you an, um, I can give you an exact answer, uh, something that would give you a little insight. So for anybody, there's a quiz called 16 personalities. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's the Myers Briggs test. You can go take it and, I'd advise anybody to do it. Like, and it's so interesting. I'm not saying it's not like a horoscope. It's not like you're, you, you know, or anything like that, or like color personality. But it's a very in depth. You, you, it's a bunch of questions, and once you take it, it puts you into um, a category almost of personalities. And mine's ENFP. And and if you read through it, like it's almost me to a T. It's pretty scary and almost uncomfortable. But not because of the strengths. You're like, ooh, I like that. But then you read weaknesses and it's like, ooh, I, I have those weaknesses too. Like inability to focus on long-term things or things like that. 
and and not to like generalize it or not to make me not special, you know, or like who I am. But I have um, in that personality type, you have a natural ability to connect with people. You're very, you know, you're generally pretty popular. You know, generally like social. Really, uh, people open up. You 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 tend to see things of like driven. You want to be alive. You know you, and because you have a drive to care about what people are driven for. You know, a lot of times when I go on dates or like meet girls or like anything like that, I don't like to ask like, "What's your favorite food?" or anything. I'm like, "What do you like? Crave like what?" Do, what's your big passion? What do you love to do? You know, sometimes, you know, it's a pretty deep question, but like, it's I, an open-ended question. I love that. Cause she can't answer that with a yes or no. Yeah. And, and it, it just, and there's more to attraction than looks. And, and I love people that are just driven, you know, and they're alive and they're excited about, and I don't care if it's like painting. I don't care if it's teaching physics, like as long as you're passionate about it and you love it, then, then I love it. So I think, kind of answering your question, I just think I have a per, I got blessed with a personality type that just allows me to connect with people. And that is a great gift, and I, I agree. And I think it's very self-aware in a humble way, just your strengths. I think it's fine to recognize strengths that we all have and 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 share those at times in appropriate situations and recognize how God can use us to help other people. But I did see that in our ward and people are drawn to you, Lee, <laughs> and people want to be around you and you're an upbeat, positive guy. And, but you're, you know, a really good guy that people like being around. And I'm sure you have your bad days where people didn't want to be around you just like me. Um, talk about just kind of your journey after your mission. And I, you know, Lee offered the prayer before we started and just gave a great prayer. And just if anybody didn't hear that at the beginning of the podcast, Lee's kind of in a position where he's not sure about the church. And so this is a story that's not finished. It's not this podcast isn't going to end with Lee announcing he's going back to church and <laughs> and everything's hunky dory. But I think it's OK just to hear Lee's story in the middle of his story. And and I just I think that's OK. So. Talk to our listeners just a little bit about kind of when church got to be hard and why. Was it once you moved to Utah County or was it in Salt Lake where we where I served with you? Um, I, Like when did I start to grow away Yeah, when from it the just church? kind of became less active. Well, I think it, it wasn't. It, go ahead. Yeah. No. I was going to make a joke. It wasn't on your homecoming day. <laughs> no, it was not. Not not at all. I, I was pretty driven in, in that I think, you know, because when, when I came home, to, you know, and I was in your ward for a, a time, you know, and especially like, you know, and I've talked about the close friends that I've had, you know, in that ward and we would go to the temple a lot together. I think we were very much on the same page and like connected and it felt like a family, you know, like we were like and I, I'd go to activities with people that I was connected with and it just felt so I, I think when I got to like to Provo, like getting in the ward sometimes, people didn't want to bond in those those same ways. You know, they didn't want to get that close. They didn't, they just kind of like, it, it, it started to feel kind of clicky and then I'd go to the click, I try to go to the clicky things. I'm like, okay, well, I don't like clicky things, but if this is where, you know, the social happens, then this is where I'm going to go, but then I'm going and I'm feeling uncomfortable. And then when you feel uncomfortable after a time and then you like leave and you're like, well, did anybody even care that I was there? You know, like you, you start to isolate yourself 
because if nobody cares, nobody's going to reach out and like, and then you're isolating yourselves. Well then, you know, ultimately like you can be the only one that's going to do anything about it. You said some really interesting things there. And that's really honest. You kind of went and there were, there was a click or groups, established groups. Were those groups that were people that knew each other before the YSA ward, so they already had a social? Or was it just people that had been in the YSA ward longer and so it established friendships or people that were in the same major and kind of had a common ground? Or were you ever able to figure it out? Well, yeah, and I, I think it's kind of a mix of both of those. I mean, one, people were in the ward for a long time. And two, you know, like talking, you know, like I, I had told you that I – only went to like part of a semester of school. I don't even know how to measure it. Like I just went to one, I took one class of psychology, you know, and then that was the only class I took. And then I, you know, didn't go to school. And, and so like, I, I, I didn't have any common ground with them. You know, like it was like, like if I'm shooting the barrel, like it was like, oh, I'm shooting this video with this famous YouTuber. What did you do? Oh, I took my finals. And so I just don't think there was a lot of, you know. So you were, and we'll talk, yeah. So you weren't a traditional student since you're taking classes. Because right. you were, um, tell our listeners a little bit about, just as, you know, tell us about the TLC or some of the other projects you've done. Because you've done a lot of stuff with video and, and film. Yeah, I've, I've had a pretty unique life, which almost kind of sucks because you, like you think it's the greatest thing and it's cool to talk about because people kind of admire you and think it's awesome. And like, you're so unique, you know, and like, how do you like live this life, you know, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I've, I've done a, like a variety of things. Like I've done, I had my show on TLC. You had your show on TLC. Yeah. We should just stop. I've never interviewed anybody, interviewed anybody that has their own show on TLC. So tell us about that. It's a big deal, Lee. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you want to know about the it? The name of the show, how many seasons it ran? Well, oh my gosh. I, I will tell you, I, I learned that I do not like to be public with my personal relationships because I feel like I'm such a vulnerable person as an individual, but me, but talking about like my relationship and then them talking about it vocally, like ooh, it was just so like, and so just for background, this is oh, the, yeah, the show is called my little life. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't even give you any background. So let me, let me, sorry. I was like talking, going right into it. Um, so what this show was, it was called my little life. It was a show with, uh, me and five other little people just about like perspective. Uh, there was one girl that, you know, lived in Arkansas, like in Illinois, and then there was, you know, like New Jersey. And then there was a couple and there was uh, one in L.A. And then there was one uh, girl named Michelle who I actually like got onto the show. You know, like I got her in contact with the producer, you know, who, who got her on the show. So it was just what the goal was is they wanted like five different narratives of of us, you know, where we were at being single and little. Just kind of like how you said like the middle of the story, not the end where you have a family or like, so they're kind of following you around documenting your lives and yeah, kind of like real time. One of those type of real. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It was for sure. Just because I mean, the show is long, like long gone. So I was always biting my tongue about like how, you know, stage things were, and like you're like, whoa, wait, this is how my life's gonna be presented. Is it yeah. like Bachelor or one of these shows where they're kind of 
documenting relationships and you're kind of drawn into the narrative of the relationships and yeah yeah and and i think though is like what was different like with my show versus you know and like tlc's in general versus like reality shows like singing show competitions or the bachelor or any other they're they're all competitions and and for this though because there was no like you can easily create drama in a competition show like oh this singer thinks they're so good or i really want to be a singer because then i can help my mom pay the mortgage you know like there's always like easy drama to create but then if you go into somebody's personal life like tlc did all of a sudden it's like what's the drama in your life for real you know, and, and it's like, like, let's amplify it and use that for entertainment purposes. And so amplify any drama. Yeah. Things. Like it, it could be very like minimal, but when you talk about it, um, it can be like minimal drama, but then they've got to exploit that drama in order to, you know, make a show. And so this is going on while you're going to church in Provo. And so it's just, and you're working full time, I think for Wells Fargo or, at times during your Prover experience, you're working for Wells yeah, Fargo. I just, I've been, it's weird ever since, you know, after my mission, I like, I developed a really crazy, like neat work ethic. Cause like, I didn't have a work ethic before my mission. Like I told you, like I was very lazy, got minimal grades. Like I wasn't excelling in any behavior other than just being a fun person to be around. And then I got home and I became so like goal driven in everything that I did that it became hard to balance, like just having a normal social life and, you know, going for my goals because I'm like, well, if I'm entertaining my social life, am I wasting time right now? Not pursuing my goals and, you know, not knowing how to balance that and then having nobody to relate with, you know? And so I'd have to like, I felt like sometimes I'd have to like, mold myself into like what was comfortable in the room and everybody's like talking about school I was like well I'm not going to school and I'm not really just casually dating like and I'm not this or that so I'm like how do I just sit here and you know hang out and so it's kind of it, it's always been hard and I don't know why but like I can develop deep relationships with people at the gym or any other place but a lot of times sometimes in wards like it's always very like surface level relationships unlike the word i was in with you where i grew up with those people yeah. and it was different but like when i came into here it's just weird to bond with people like i like because like I, I don't think it just starts it you stop going to church like you stop going to fhe you stop going to you know institute and you stop doing those things and then that kind of evolves into like well i'm not going to this i'm not going to that and you stop and then i stopped going to you know kind of church off and on and then and then all of a sudden you fall out of love where you don't recognize this church that you used to like be driven and loved and, you know, gave testimonies of and, and you were passionate about, you were getting people to like share, you know, like their experiences and love. So yeah, it was kind of hard. It was just kind of a weird, weird experience. One of the things you said really interesting is if I leave, no one will notice. I don't think you said exactly like that, but it was sort of like, you know, if I, quit coming. I'm not sure anybody will even know I'm not here anymore. And how isolating it is. I find when we're, the YSAs are isolated, um, it's just harder to, it's harder because you just don't have as much 
um, connection to the ward. You don't have as much desire to do what's right. It can be really isolating. And then you have to turn to other things potentially to sort of fill that hole. Um, and I call that bottom of the iceberg stuff. And that can lead to temptations that all YSAs have and more messing up that comes when you're more isolated and you don't feel a connection. So it sounds like there wasn't a belief issue when you first started to maybe become less active or behavior issue. You were fully temple worthy and fully committed to church. It just, the culture there was difficult to fit in and fitting in. I, I read this quote a lot, but fitting in is sort of assessing a situation and becoming what you have to be to fit in. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who you are. And I know because partly because you grew up in our YSA war, knew everybody, you belonged. Everybody knew Lee Liston and who he was. And I think that's one of the challenges of our YSA ward sometimes is we don't really get to know people very well and we don't create space for everybody and their differences. And if someone doesn't show up, we don't sometimes reach out to them and say, we've missed you. Any thoughts on any of that? You know, one of my, um, just the 90s Disney movies just killed it with narratives of people feeling isolated, you know, like Simba, like isolating himself, you know, from his dad. Like after like going through it and nobody wants me to be king and then everybody's been looking for you. And, 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 but especially like in Hercules, um, there's a part when he's trying to be friends and he throws a disc and it knocks down like all these buildings and these pillars and, and he's like, good job, jerkily, you know, and, and it's funny and it's comedic, but like, but really it, he was like, I just wanted to belong, you know, cause he had this like unbelievable strength, you know, like God-like strength, you know, and being Hercules. And, and sometimes that's kind of what I feel like with me, with the intensity of who I am, that I just come in, I'm just a lot, you know, like I bring a lot of energy into a room You do, or like a crowd or like things when I'm like in the mix. And sometimes I feel like people don't like, they like it how it is. Like they have these like social settings and they're like, these are our friends and this is what we do. And, and then if I come into it and I'm like, Hey guys, like what if we did this or what if we do this? Like they, they don't like the change. They don't, they don't want me changing it up and making it more or like creating the potential. They like their little town, you know, of, of, of what it is. And so I'm, I'm kind of a mover, you know, of, of ideas. Like I, I'm a sub at Vasa, which is like very like low tier, but I'll have ideas all the time about how to like make the app more efficient, you know? And, and like, I, I could like spit out ideas and that's not important, but like, I'm always an innovator at Wells Fargo. I always shared new ideas and that was welcome. And I was like, Hey, what if we did this way, this way, instead of this. And, and then it was like, that's wicked, you know? And, and then we'd implement them and, and, and they would work and not to say all my ideas work, but like. Like I could, I, I knew how to read a room. And, and so like at the church, like what I wanted to do was a lot of people just want to socialize and connect. But like, for me, like what I wanted to do was like, look at the construct. I'm like, what's working, what's not working, what's working in our world with home teaching. And like, and, and like the work in the beginning that we do, like, cause a lot of people were like, well, then we're being disingenuous. We're just being robots. They're doing, it. I'm like, no, 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 let's do all this work now. And the construct, and then our testimony comes from we're getting revelation, we're moving the church forward, we're giving our ideas, and we're and we're just we're just moving. And so, as you can see, if I bring this framework into a room, people are kind of like, 
who, you know, like it's just, it's a lot. I like that. Um, and I think our, and one of the things you also said is sometimes the conversations are surfacy and I think we need to mature where we can have at times really in depth, vulnerable congregations, conversations, because it makes, I think, more authentic connection. So when we're honest and we're transparent, we're kind of at sometimes vulnerable in the, some of the things that we're unsure about or struggling with. And I think that creates le- more authentic connections. And instead of just kind of the surfacy, everything's fine. And I think a lot of people in a YSA ward or any ward, you know, I don't know whose quote I was hearing, but, it, you know, just assume everybody you see is, you know, is really struggling. And I think if we can be more honest that way, then we're able to help each other. And so I assume you've been open with on social media with alcohol. Tell our listeners a little bit about how that started and how you're working with that or through that or dealing with that. So that um, so that that started with uh, as far as like a little bit towards isolation again. I, I lived in, you know, a college like in between living um, between college apartments I lived in this house uh, that was in Pleasant Grove that was, you know, quite a bit a ways out from people. It was the first time that I kind of lived. I lived in a basement apartment of these people that I knew, like, through, like, mascotting and stuff. Like, it was my first time, like, living individual. And and, and honestly, that kind of really challenged my character, you know, because I wasn't living with peers anymore. I was just living with me. And I got with a friend, and I was with my friend, and I said – Hey man, like something just popped in my head and I like to try new experiences, right? Like I see things as experiences and I was like, I've never drank before. I think that'd be interesting to know what it felt like to be drunk. And, and when we talk about bonding and belonging, me and him kind of, we bonded over that, you know, and we would, we went to the bar, you know, the first time and I started drinking and, and I was like, Whoa, this is weird, you know, and like, not to like glamorize it, but like, you know, I started, you know, to get drunk the first time. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I was like, I want, I want to like say this in a very like PG-esque way, but like it was very easy to like talk to women, you know, and like socialize. So all of a sudden I'm like, I have like superpowers now, you know, and just because like, you know, the liquid courage as they call it. And that kind of evolved into a social thing with with me and my friend. We would just do all the time. We'd go to Salt Lake and do it and, you know, and, and just kind of became like a thing that I did. And and no one was in, in, involved in that. So, like, I could still have my church friends, but this is what I do in my secret life. But, you know, and so, and then, which kind of turned into, you know, like, you know how you kind of, like, push the barrier little by little, which I was like, hey, well, I'll only drink with my friend. Okay, I'll only do this. I'll only, you know, but then, like, you're pushing that until I'm sometimes sitting, you know, like, I've been sitting in my apartment you know, alone watching Netflix, you know, you know, drinking, you know, just to get a buzz and then to get drunk and, 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 and it be kind of, it became like a habitual thing, like on and off and, and like not very driven. And like, it was just, it's another way that I, like another way I isolated myself from the church. Cause I, yeah, like I, I didn't, I don't know how to explain it, but it was just, it was just another way that I isolated myself and indulged in that behavior. 
Thanks for being so honest. It takes courage to talk about that. I've admired you being pretty vulnerable on Facebook. You could go find Lee Liston, L-I-S-T-O-N, on Facebook. And at times as I scrolled through your Facebook feed, you've been honest about your own, you know, working with alcohol. And I, I didn't look at that as rebellion. I didn't look at it as you're trying to draw attention to yourself. I just looked at it as you being really honest with where you are in life. And I thought that was okay. Um, and I thought what you've said was okay. And so, you know, I mean, it's hard for me not to go back to your being your YSA bishop. <laughs> I realize we're in a podcast, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I think whenever we, you know, experience things in our life, we have to sort of say, what did, what am I learning from that? And where do I need to go forward? So I think, I think you could feel tremendous shame because you're now engaged in a behavior that didn't, it sounds like you didn't even have before your mission. No. So shame would, shame is this, this feeling that if you look in the mirror in the morning, Lee, you say, I am bad and versus I did something bad. So that's a big difference between I am bad and I did something bad. So I would hope you still look in the mirror in the morning or in your tenderest moments and you still say, I am a child of God who is worthy of God's love, and the core of me is still really, really good, and nothing's changed. And yeah, I've got this thing going on with alcohol, and I think I do believe in the influence of Satan, and I think he'd want to sort of say, well, now your your future life is forever changed. You know, this means you'll never have a temple marriage. This means you're going to do, you're just never going to be able to do the things you taught in the Philippines. And I think God would say, I think he'd just point you forward and say, you know, look at this as a learning experience. You are still in my love. And and I think he'd fill you with hope that all your hopes and dreams of the future that you had when you walked off the plane from the Philippines are still on the table. And you're not sitting across me at age 58 saying, well, I just spent 30 years in this space of alcohol and whatever it could lead to. And you're in a stage where you've still got your whole life ahead of you. So I don't know where you, how you feel about this stage. If you feel like you're, if you feel like you want to end your experience with alcohol, or you feel like it'll be part of your life going forward, any thoughts on that? Um, I I think I I got to a point when I started to not feel anything, and it. it I think it came from like, you know, enjoying the substance to abusing the substance and where I didn't kind of feel a lot of emotion towards things or things. And, and I don't know if I want, like, cause once again, I don't think of stuff long-term and I should, because that puts things into the real perspective of like, where do you want to be and stuff? And like what this will do versus like, I'm always so in the now in the moment that I don't like think of that over time. And so like you asked me, it's kind of weird because I'm trying to think of like mm -hmm. where it fits into my equation. And I, I think it's, it, it comes down to a hope um, behavior because, you know, like I, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too personal for her sake, not, you know, like my, I'm fine being open, but like, I don't but to kind of keep her like a little more private, but like I, you know, I dated that girl for four months and that was such an amazing relationship and it was so cool. And I was like, okay, 
cool. Like in like, we're going to get married. Like, and it was like, here we go. And, and it was like a mix of like, okay, I'm proving myself like that. I am going to get married, you know, to everybody, but I'm also proving it to myself. And like, but like, I didn't, sometimes I just didn't accept that I was just in love, you know, like I, like I just found a partner and, um, I think for me, it's like, to answer the question, it's, it's like, I have, for me, I have to have a why, you know, like if I, if I, when I'd work out a ton, when I went crazy, like I auditioned for the Titan games, it was like a show on NBC and with the rock. And I wanted that. I had a why of like to curb alcohol, you know, like, and it was easy. I'd go to sleep every night, wake up every day, you know, like motivated doing two a day workouts, getting really, you know, buff or, you know, lean and stuff. And then, and then once I didn't make the show, it was like, huh, I don't really have a why anymore. And then I was like, okay, I'll get into bodybuilding. And then I was like doing bodybuilding and then I got sponsorships and from, you know, those fitness things. And then I'm like, well, if I don't need to do the bodybuilding in order to earn the sponsorships, then why am I bodybuilding? Okay. Well, sounds like I don't really need to, you know? And so it was just kind of frustrating. I always need a why, um, to what my goals are. Otherwise it makes it very hard for me to justify just being like, nope, not going to do it just because, or I don't, I don't know. I want to come back to the why, but tell our listeners how you got 20,000 Instagram followers overnight. Yeah, that, that was nuts. I, I got featured. There's a athletic clothing line called Gymshark, And there, there's an athlete named Steve cook who like, you know, like I told you that I had met him. Um, and you know, bumped into him at his gym and he featured me on his story and, and then they put me in a campaign called the way to the world, which was all about influencing people, you know, to do, be different in fitness. Which I was like, oh, I love this. Like, this is totally authentically me. And that's what I loved more than TLC because it was so like, if you watch that video, like it's authentically me, it's not stage. They didn't edit. They just let it, it was very raw and real. And, and then that got validation. So like, that's why that was, that was huge for me. Is an individual. How do people find you on Instagram? Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Lee underscore Liston. So just L-E-E underscore L-I-S-T-O-N. That's great. And so it must be crazy to go to sleep one night and wake up in the morning and have 20,000 new followers on Instagram. And it's a credit to you. I know followers can make us feel it's okay to have followers if you're doing it for the right reason. But I think people are connected with your story, Lee. And, and I think you bring hope and vision and to other people. I think it's part of your life mission. And I think the type of content they're following, I think is motivating content and, and can say, well, I can do hard things too. And so it's positive content and I think it's great. Yeah. Um, can I, can I share one thing? Sure. Like, cause I, I don't know how much time we have. You're fine. But, uh, one, one of the craziest things, and I usually don't normally like to share stuff until it's set in stone, meaning like counting your chickens before they hatch. But last night I was working at Vasa in the gym and this guy comes up, he was in crutches and he's like, have you ever thought about competing in the Paralympics? And I was like, no, like he's like, show me all this Paralympics. It's apparently the Paralympics is a very big it is, what thing. I like they, like they, they're all over the world. You know, it's like equate to the Olympics. Like they give them the same medals. It's the same opportunity to do the same, you know, be competitive in events. They even have, and he's like, have you ever thought about doing like, the Paralympic, and I was like, well, I didn't think about it until now. And he's like, well, they have a dwarf class, you know, for little wow. people, you know, to compete in this Olympic arena and in, in, in these Olympic, you know, um, sports. And, and I was like, I literally like all the hairs 
on my arm stood up. And so the reason I share this story is not to like drop a bragging right or like that is because when I, that's an example of a why. Like if all of a sudden I got accepted to compete in Tokyo in 2020 in the Paralympics and like all of a sudden that like all of a sudden it's like, well, I, I can't do alcohol anymore. Like I've got to, I've got to focus on this. I've got to, like, I've got to train, eat and go, you know, and just, and like, that's, it's kind of how my brain works. And, and so I very get like, once I have like a goal, I get very tunnel vision and I'm just like going towards it. And so like with the, if I get the opportunity to like compete in the Paralympics and do this and represent America and little people and be that and, and have something where I can push my limits, you know, completely like giving my all, you know, like that's just crazy, you know? That's cool. And I think I love that you're using your God given attributes and, and, and having a why. So, you know, I come back a little bit to the why. So I'm kind of role-playing being your why, say bishop again, and you being honest with me about yeah. you're not going to church right now and you, you know, got and you're drinking alcohol and that may or may not be keeping you from going to church. But that I don't sense you're addicted to alcohol. I don't sense you're an alcoholic. I sense for the right reason you could stop drinking pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Because that's just the kind of guy you are. So you're not in a situation. I'd be very careful to put the addiction label on you or anyone, because I think that can be self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, that is an appropriate label at some time with some things. I would hardly ever put that label on the young, the YSAs working through pornography, even though it was part of their life. I, I felt like at that age, often if I if they felt and started to use the word addicted, then it became harder even though they may have a long-term problem with that. And a, probably a clinical person could talk about that better than I could. But the why for you, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably say if I were trying to point you back to the church and I'm and I had a, an agenda to do that, I might say, well, you're 26 right now. Tell me about where you want to be at 36 or 46. And sometimes I'd set up, even point to empty chairs in the bishop's office and I'd I'd say, you know, that chair represents you sitting there at 36 and you sitting there at 46 or five-year increments. And tell me about what you want to be talking to me about at that point. Where do you want to be? And and where do you want the church to be in your life? And are you still open to a temple marriage? And could the why be a temple marriage? And could the why be your future kids? And marrying the kind of woman that you want to be the mother of your kids? And and so I would probably not ask you to answer that question in the interview or even on the podcast, but I would probably try to point you just to some reflective thinking about your future. And because sometimes it's there's so much going on in your 20s that it's hard to kind of go to 40,000 feet and step out of the, the day-to-day demands in your life and sort of see a bigger picture and say, okay, what do those chairs represent? And where do I want to be at 36 and 46? And and I'm a product really of the decisions at 58 that I made in my 20s. You know, who I married, the career I chose, the choices I made to stay in the church. And, and so that kind of, and I could have obviously changed in my 30s or 40s, but most of that was driven by my decisions in my late teens and 20s. So that's part of bringing you up to the 40,000 foot level. And I probably, this hasn't come into my mind at all and during a podcast, but I do like the idea of the 
tree of life and the mists of darkness, I think that is one of Satan's tools to take us off the tree of life. The tree of life, to me, represents the fruit. And the fruit could be multiple things. It's the word of God or the love of God, I think, is the correct translation. But it could be a temple marriage. It could be your future kids. It could be the kind of life you've dreamed about. And and the mists of darkness, I think, take us away about how good that fruit is. And it's even interesting. Some of the wording for that fruit, it wasn't just white, but it was white. It was not even fruit. It was not even good, but it was above all good. There's all these modifiers to this word. It wasn't just white. Its brightness was exceeding right. I'm not I'm paraphrasing now. So I think Nephi is trying to communicate how good the fruit is of the tree of life and trying to get us to 40,000 feet to focus on that and not let the mists of darkness, which can just be the, I don't think it's necessarily the, just pure evil. It can just be the busyness of day-to-day life that just keep us kind of from seeing the big picture at times. So that's kind of a long answer that I might share with you or anybody in your stage that, that you know, is still keeping, when we started this podcast, I asked you before you prayed, I said, are you still keeping the door open to a possible temple marriage? And you said, yeah. And that was kind of a good question for me to kind of get a feel for if this, even though you're not active right now, if that door is still open. And when you said that, I sort of think the door is still open, but I, I'm guessing you're not quite sure if that's going to ever happen or is possible now. But I liked you being honest with that, that that door is still a little bit open. And I think a lot of people that aren't active in the church that are single your age would give the same answer. You know, they're not, com- they still sometimes know how to reopen that door or activate that path to become more of a reality. So now I've spoken for five minutes. Any thoughts on any of that, Lee? Um, I, I think what I wanted to do in, in what, what I wanted originally, you know, in, in different stages, uh, because I'm like, why is the door still open for me? Why haven't I just shut it? For you a know, temple and, marriage. Yeah. For a temple marriage, but also just to the church in general. Like, I know I'm not going, but I could easily go back. You know, like I wouldn't, I, I don't feel uncomfortable. I just feel indifferent 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 right now and and, and kind of like numb and and i think what i wanted to do i remember when i went you know when i told you i went on my mission and i became an ambassador for filipinos and connected the cultures a little bit more you know and understanding i think for me i wanted to go i think what i didn't realize is i went into the darkness thinking that i could me, I wanted, I wanted to get all this perspective of all these people in the darkness from their perspective in that world of, you know, drinking and these people that I've just, I've always seen on the outside. And, you know, because sometimes the church, especially Provo, can be a bubble, you know, where people don't understand people and they just put them here and there. And I wanted to go in and do that. But I didn't realize maybe in the meantime that doing these worldly behaviors you do change. You do get corrupted. And and I'm not saying, you know, and and it does change you. It, as hard as that is to sound. And I was thinking about it with my uh, with my dad, who I'm close with, who we've, we're having very different conversations about different things than we did like four or five years ago. And that's natural, but it's also, I've noticed how much I've really changed. You know, is even though the core Lee is still there, there's that. And so kind of like, coming back around on that is I look at that door always open because I I never really want to close it but I kind of 
like like there there would have to be a why like if there was a girl that i was excited about you know that i was dating or around and i was like i really like her i i i'm drawn to her like i i want to like you know i want to um marry her then all of a sudden there there's my goal and i know i know it's okay you shouldn't be get married for like go to church for a person or do it for a person but i'm very that's just how i work you know i'm very why driven and I was like, which would be an annoying kid because I'm like, but why mom? But why not? You know? And I think I, my impression is I can't tell you the why. I think knowing you, I think you have to come up with the why. And if this were a bishop's interview, I would be very careful to not do anything to make you feel shame. Mm. I wouldn't say to you, what were you thinking, Lee? Or do you remember your temple covenants? Or you're going to be in a lesser kingdom or... You know, your future generation is going to suffer because I think you would know all that anyway. <laughs> I, I would just want to bring you the love of our Heavenly Father and the hope of the future. And so I would just, because I love you, Lee, and people that know you love you. And I think the YSAs that I meet with that are struggling, I don't mean sure that's the right term, but I love that you haven't closed the door to a temple marriage. And Maybe the why I would gently suggest could be your 36-year-old self. And and maybe the promise of your patriarchal blessing that talks about your marriage and your and your ability to have kids and maybe a temple marriage. And so the why might be your 36-year-old self that is married and is a priest quorum advisor and can reach people. You would, I would love you to be my own son's priest quorum advisor because of what you could do to teach them. Just like when I walked you in there to talk to my son and his five friends at All Preparing for Missions before we started this podcast. And the advice you gave them was some of the best advice I've ever heard anybody give about their mission. <laughs> and we should have recorded that. But I would probably, in a very soft way, say, you've got to figure out the why, but here's a potential couple potential whys. And one would be, your future self 10 years from now and and trying to focus on that and say that dream of me being a mayor in the temple and have two little kids to a wonderful woman and my ability to help in the church. And then I might say, because this is an impression I had talking to you is God, that 38 year old self or God might say, Lee, I kind of knew you would be in this space at this point. I knew you well enough that you need to walk through these period of years where you kind of were less active and you kind of learned this world a little bit, but then you knew enough about this world to say, I, that's not my space. And then I think you become the wounded healer. And I share this a lot in these podcasts. Um, I don't know if I can find the quote, um, but the wounded healer is basically the idea that you know the wilderness well enough that you can lead other people out. The mistake of leadership is to think we can be led out of people by, from the desert by people who have never been there. Mm -hmm. But you are the wounded healer on so many levels, Lee. And, that's, and Christ is the ultimate wounded healer because he knows all the pain and all the difficulty. But there's a side of me that says your 38-year-old, 36-year-old self and God would talk about that and say, well, you you kind of, this is just part of your path of mortality. This, you have to sit back in the sense you're not acting the church, but may not be a setback in just your total eternal progression. Mm. And the, re, and the atonement can help you be clean, but you don't, 
forget the life lessons you've learned during this time and have kind of seen some of the difficult side of our church culturally. So that's kind of the general discussion I might have with you. Yeah. Um, and in a very loving, soft, challenging way and, and maybe try to get you the why is I love that we're both agree on the why. And I love that you know when you know the why, you are self-motivated enough to do what the why requires. <laughs> and there's so when I'm interviewing employees for work, um, I look at a, ability versus motivation. And um, I'd rather have somebody with less ability and more motivation because you can somebody that's motivated, you can teach ability generally. Mm -hmm. You have both. You have some great abilities, but you are very motivated. And that's a very difficult attribute to activate in people that don't have that. And so that's, if I were your bishop or your life coach, I would not need to have a conversation about motivation with you. And because, so if you can get the why, there's no question in my mind that you have the motivation to do the why. And yeah, I'd love to see you at 36, you know, message me on whatever social media exists in 10 years from now and mm -hmm. Say I'm got you know a couple little kids and I'm teaching the preschool and you would relate so well to the youth in our church and to other groups. So, but I don't want to put like a lot of pressure on you. Just some gentle thoughts. Any thoughts on any of that? Okay. So, and have I crossed a line in being too prescriptive? No, no, you're you're fine. I, I I don't know. Like some people are like really uncomfortable with this level of vulnerability, and I just don't mind. You know, man. And like I and and I realize how weird it is when I talk with people who aren't that comfortable with it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of not normal. But for me, like I love to be utilized. Um, I felt like my like you know that quote that like people don't remember, like they may not remember what you did, they may not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel, you know, or something like that. I don't remember a lot of what I said or did in a lot of the previous, you know, YSA words. Um, in, in your ward, I don't remember what I said during my testimonies. I don't remember what I said when I would teach. I don't remember what I said when I taught on my missions. I don't even remember what I said when I was in my next YSA ward that was pretty good when I was in elder, the Elders Corn Presidency. And not that I seek power, but I, but I love being in places where I can be utilized. And, and I felt, I think what happened was, is, is I kind of felt un, like at times underutilized in, in my words, especially like by my bishop, like, oh, okay, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to like put him on the spot or like say his name, but one of my bishops, it it was always just very like black and white, like, um, you know, talking about things like, oh, this is who you are, but your stains kind of cover my ability to see how you can be utilized. But I was like, but one of the things, if if I can share this, I hope this isn't too vulnerable. Okay. Like with, with clothes, you know, because this is between you and me that happened. Something that I'll never forget that you did is I remember going in and I talked to you and I said, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. You know, and I, and I opened up to you about that. And I remember one thing that you did that I'll never forget is you're like, I get that you're struggling, but you can still have a temple recommend. And, you know, and, and you still and, and I, I was I was really scared to say that because I, I, I'm not saying that was a standard and. Everything's so individual, and I don't know how people will feel about that. It, but like, because I didn't want to bring energy that way. But, but the reason that I love that is because, because you gave me that temple recommend, and I started going to the temple. 
with that recommend, it made it easier not to look at pornography. If I was at the temple, I wasn't thinking about doing pornography. I was thinking about being at the temple. And I think sometimes when we say people can't do stuff or they're not worthy of certain callings because of certain, you know, transgressions, like such heavy words, but like <laughs> transgressions or, you know, issues or sins, like we, we don't allow people to get busy because if they're just, if you're like, you can't do this, sorry, when you get better, come back. And I'm like, but idle hands are the devil's playgrounds. And, and so like, why not get people busy, get people going? And, and so all they're thinking about the work and then when they're doing the work, they don't even care about the sin anymore. Like, and not, not to like teach my bishop how to be a bishop, but I'm like, give me some kind of loaded calling where like, where I'm like active in elders quorum or I'm like doing something all the time. Get me really busy. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to do the sin anymore. It's kind of like how people, I noticed uh, when I had my girlfriend, when, when we were dating and I had my issue with pornography, I've noticed that pornography, like the desire goes away because you're, it's not a priority. It doesn't matter anymore. You don't need it. And, and so I think that's kind of one of the things that I want to see overcome in the church a, across a whole of if someone comes in and they say, I'm struggling with this or I broke the law of chastity or this, it's like, let's put you to work. Let's get you busy and then take this, take two of these and come back and tell me how you're doing. Instead of just go read the scriptures and until you don't want to look at pornography anymore or go read the scriptures until you don't want to drink anymore. I'm like, what does that do for people in the long run? Because they're sitting in the same place that the sin exists. You're in the same environment, you know, and that's so frustrating. Just get people busy, you know? Thanks for being so honest and vulnerable. You know, I've had a few men on the podcast that have talked about pornography and have opened up about their own pornography. And my admiration and respect for you, because most of the YSAs that in our ward, I've been public with this on other podcasts, we're working on that. And I can't actually remember that. That's interesting that I can't even remember having that discussion with you. And that's one of the things I think bishops, once they're released, they don't remember much of the stuff people confess to them. Yeah. And, but the doctor, so some people may wonder what's the doctrinal foundation for how we treated that. And the handbook has no rules about somebody that, you know, is watching pornography and can they, or can they not go to the temple? So we talked as YSA bishops with our stake president. We felt in our stake, that was a case by case basis. And I remember one night in the bishop's office, just after having my, thousandth interview with a man or a woman in our ward that was working on pornography. I I just pulled up the empty chair next to me and I said, Heavenly Father, like he was sitting there, I said, did you know it'd be so hard for some of these incredible men and women, like he miscalibrated, <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't know technology would match hormone levels or something. And, and of course he didn't and he knew everything. So he turned to me and he says, he said, no, I knew this would be hard. And he turned to me and he says, so what have I done for them? And so he put it back on me, Heavenly Father. And then the thought came into my mind, you know, just as the world's been flooded with pornography, I've flooded the earth with temples. And so I believe that temple attendance is part of the solution. It can be preventative. And in, the, in, an, in an individual situation with somebody working on pornography, especially a single person, it's a little more complicated if you're married that the temple is part of the solution. Mm -hmm. There's no requirement. Now, some sick presidents will put in 
a requirement that they have to be clean from pornography for a period of time. And I, I think that's okay, perhaps, that everybody has their own local interpretation. But I never made a firm rule. It became very much the spirit of what would be helpful. And I like that you're willing to share that for you it was helpful to go to the temple. There's no requirement to be perfect the temple. And I've always felt pornography is not is the bottom of the iceberg. It's not so the top of the iceberg is where the pornography is, the water, the ice above the water. But often for pornography it's it's what's going on at the bottom of the iceberg. And often that's loneliness, stress, anxiety. And then often the YSAs would report just what you did, Lee, is when they're dating and when they have an and they're not, and they're we're wired for connection. So we need a connection with your girlfriend. The pornography just lift, lifted, just like you volunteered. And to me, that's a point that you are not addicted. And if I put on the addicted label to you, you might have just self assumed that was a self fulfilling prophecy. Okay, I'm addicted. <laughs> this is gonna be really hard to get rid of. But then it lifts from you. And so then I think you can then better understand the bottom of the iceberg. Is you need connection. You need to feel involved, you need to feel wanted, you need to feel needed in a singles ward. And I'm thinking of President Hinckley when his advice to new converts is everybody needs a calling. And so you're bumping up on just the limitations of our restored church, the institutional side that hasn't, you know, sometimes we just fail a little bit in involving people and helping people feel needed. So I admire you being so open with that. And I think it really helps our listeners because a lot of people are working on the same stuff. And want to do the best. And so, yeah, and some people would say my pornography problem, my mess-ups disqualify me from future blessings or a woman will never want me or I'll never be good enough for so-and-so. I've sold my birthright for my chance to have a temple marriage or be the kind of husband and father. And I would just say to any of our listeners and to you that that's, I don't believe that. And I really don't believe that. And so I don't think anything you've done or any of our listeners have done, I don't think you should self sort of prescribe, say, now my path is different going forward and still have hope that you can have all the dreams and hopes. And And it's easier if you're working through this in your 20s than my age in your 50s. So any more thoughts on that as you've been pretty vulnerable? Well, um, I was I was trying to figure out what your secret sauce <laughs> is, is a bishop that you did so well and you continue to do so well in the community, you know, and learn, listen, learn, like to the point that you created a podcast and interviewed hundreds of people, you know, from different, I'm like, what is it a secret sauce? And, and I was kind of thinking about it is you're about empowering. And, and it's funny because I feel like the, when, when I see some, you know, bishops is I see dominion, they, they, they have a dominion and they, they, they have these weapons of, I can take away this from you and do this and do this and do this in order to make you better. I, you know, but instead you, you go around the other way and he said, how can I empower you, you know, to be the best that you can be and want that for yourself, but not because it was imposed upon you. And, and, and that's, that's something that like, like I'm thinking about, you know, because I think the God, we can't change the gospel, Right. But you were doing the very same thing, right? Like of, you know, getting people closer to God, to getting temple recommends, to getting temple marriages. And you, 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 you know, and now you do work with the LGBTQ and your voice and, and it's different, 
but you have the same goals and you're on the same team as every bishop and every ward as President Nelson, you know, all the way down to a deacon's quorum, you know. And and so I think like I would love to get that empowering thing and kind of have almost like I think you do good not to teach bishops how to teach the gospel or not to say let's lessen the blow of certain sins, but like some kind of training going out that we're empowering individuals to be empowered in the gospel, you know, to be like, not because not to go and so that way, if anyone comes out, you know, and goes to their bishop, like, Hey, just let you know, I am gay, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't hate it. I, you know, I like this is where I'm at. Just letting you know, it's like, okay, well, what do you want out of the gospel? What, what, what's your goal? And, and then we empower people. And then, and then it's like the teach, you know, like the classic, like, give a man a fish he's fed for a day teach a man a fish he's fed for life wow. it's all like about and like empowering and enabling people to find their wise on their own it's really good lee and you're very kind and very insightful and i hope i'm able to live up to some of the kind things you've said but you've certainly helped me you helped our ward you've helped me to understand as we've had visits and visited a few times since um that ysa assignment ended but I do think part, you know, sometimes I just get impressions about you and what kind of a local priesthood leader you could be someday. And that could be your chair at 43. And, and I know that, you know, we're taught not to talk about our sins, you know, once they've kind of put us behind, but, oh, yeah. you know, it's possible that you're a 43 year old YSA bishop or I don't want to put any pressure on you by saying that and saying you've got a, you're only will measure up if you become a bishop, because I don't think we should measure our, pr our progress in the church by our callings. And I want to sort of de take that out of the culture. I should measure my progress in life by coming unto Christ and living his commandments and honoring my marriage with my wife. And I can't measure my progress as male in the church by my calling. So I want to kind of, but it's possible you're a 43-year-old bishop of a YSA ward. And in the back of your mind, you kind of know you had this period of time of less activity and some of your own sins. And you probably won't ever open up to your to anybody about your own sins, but you will be able to go and where they need you to go and, and lift them. And I think and I think that's and so I think that's one of the things God I think would offer up to you is the why is so instead of saying, what do you think, and you're off the covenant path or the shaming things I could say to you, I think God wouldn't do any of those. And I think he'd talk about the beautiful atonement that's available to you and and then your ability to help other people. And it comes, I did find my quote, I'm going to read it now. Um, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by, by the suffering about which he speaks, the great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. And so I love that because there's so much hope in our pain, in our shortcomings, and in our mistakes, is then our ability to, you know, as we get over those, to be able to lead other people. Or in the difficult cards were dealt in just mortality, LGBTQ, you know, and the different challenges that we have. And so that's kind of the beauty of mortality. And anyway, just some, we're kind of at the end of this podcast. I've loved this podcast. I've loved the spirit here. It's been 
kind of reflective for me to remember our visits and kind of bring me that period of time when we served together and some of those tender interviews. But Lee, you are a great man and I love you, brother. And you haven't disappointed me in any way with any things that you've that have occurred in your life as you've been open with me. And I don't think you disappointed God. And I just think you're a great man. And the core of you is good. And the core of you is motivated to do good things. And I love motivated people that need to know the why and then can turn on the why. And, and I just love you, brother. And I think you have a great life ahead of you. And I want to stay in contact with you and just see what you're able to accomplish. And I gently, I love our church and I just, we need, I hope you find a way back, Lee, because you can, you are the kind of you know, man that I think helps our church becomes the church it needs to be. The culture worries me. The BYU culture can be very difficult. We lose really good people in our church because of our own unforced errors. You know, we can blame everything on Satan, but we have to look inward and say, what do we need to do better? And sometimes our culture doesn't match our doctrine or our practice doesn't match our doctrine. And so people feel pain at times from the church experience and the culture and or an individual leader. And I'm sure I did that for other people at times. But if men like you that are kind of more aware of that and have sort of dealt with that firsthand are able to kind of stay in, then you're part of what I hope is the improvement that I hope to see in our culture over time because you'll be a culture breaker. And you will be just like on your mission in our YSA ward, one of these guys that everybody's drawn towards. So I'll leave you with the final thoughts and then we'll sign off. Well, um, thank you for having me on the podcast and thanks for asking such great questions. I, I love talking to you because you're, you're a big idea guy. You, you, you have big ideas, you have perspective, you see the bigger picture. And I think that's why you and I kind of collaborate because we look at things as a whole, not as an individualistic thing. So thank you so much. Um, I just hope that being a culture breaker, I can, you know, I think the glass is cracking, but I think I have to keep hitting harder and, and kind of figure out. And I think um, it's a matter of not bulldozing a bishop, you know, but not being afraid to stand up, you know, because if something's not working and it's just one-sided, being like, this is what I feel, and not being afraid of that, you know, and not doing dominion, but just being who you are in the church and saying what you want, what like, so your needs are met. That's, that's the way to put it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lee Liston for joining us on another episode of listen, learn and love. And I'd like to give a shout out to Tom Garbett. Who's our, I don't know what to call Tom, our producer, the guy that posts these podcasts up on all the platforms. And we don't, you can't donate to this podcast, but I'm trying to, I think it's good if you like the podcast or leave a review. Cause I think, it helps to have more people engage in the podcast. So if you have time, please rate our podcast, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening. And this is Richard Osser signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.